Welcome to Freedom Fellowship Church in Kakana, Wisconsin. We are a non-denominational, Bible-teaching Christian church. Visit us at cometofreedom.com. We hope you're encouraged by God's Word. Here's Pastor Landon Churchill with today's message. We're going to pick it up in verse 13 this morning of Matthew chapter 23. We're going to look at some outwardly religious people that are inwardly corrupt. So in dealing with the topic of greatness, which Jesus hit on Last time in dealing with, the li- I love in scriptures, when he dealt with the little ones, let them come to me. Jesus was so gentle with them. But when he was facing foes, I mean, Jesus spoke truth. He offended people. He was very bold. So as we said, Jesus uses the strongest language that he ever used in all of the New Testament in this chapter here. And against who? Who was he using this you know, words against, well, was it unbelievers? No, it was against those who professed to be believers, otherwise known as hypocrites. So what's a hypocrite? I'm glad you asked. The Greek word denotes someone acting out a part in a play. Pretty good definition, right? So in a Greek drama, the actors held masks over their faces. Each mask was painted to represent whatever character that they were going to be acting out. So in real life, a hypocrite's a person who masks his real life while he plays a part for his audience. Last time we talked about how often we, we wear those masks too, to hide who we really are from others and from God. However, God can see through that mask. He knows what's really going on. So you put the mask on and God can't work. That's hypocrisy, that's phony. But if you're willing to take off that mask, God can work. It's being vulnerable before him. It's being honest before him. It's being authentic. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be real. Okay? This morning, if you're in a place of just a lot of questions, God, I don't even know if I believe. I don't even know what I'm doing here at church. Good. Be real with him. He'll meet you in that. Some of you guys might be in a season of trials. Things just been hard. It's dry, Lord. Okay, what's going on? Be real with them about that. Just don't play the motions. Everything's good. Everything's okay. No, it stinks. I'm hurting. I feel defeated. I feel down. Be honest with them. So hopefully you turned in your mask to Jesus. When Ptolemy, he was an outstanding astronomer, astrology, he did it all. He was a mathematician, second century guy. Uh, he, he decided to build the Pharos. That's the island of Alexandria, um, Egypt. He chose Sastrus, uh to design this mammoth. It was a huge lighthouse, which would be, actually become one of the seven wonders of the world. Ptolemy insisted that the structure should, be, should bear his inscription. Okay, I want my name on it. Okay, is this personal memorial so everyone will know. However, uh, Sastris didn't think the king should get all the credit. He therefore put the title of Ptolemy on the front of the lighthouse in this real thick plaster, uh, which was very, you know, catching to the eye. There it is. We know who this is, right? Um, but later it would be worn away by the elements. Secretly, he had cut his own name into the granite that was underneath. So for decades, the sea dashed against the inscription and it gradually eroded it. Though it lasted the lifetime of that earthly monarch, 
it finally was obliterated, leaving the name Sosteris standing in bold relief. So these Pharisees that are before us this morning here in Matthew 23, they wear their religion for all to see. It's on the outside. Look at me. Look at how great I am, how religious I can be, proud of what they had built in their life. And only one day to finally be exposed. And that one day, all of us will finally be exposed. And only what is underneath, what inside, what's on the inside is going to last. Do you guys get that? That's what Jesus has been getting at over and over and over again in this gospel. So far, Jesus has warned the religious leaders with three parables. He spoke directly to the Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. And now he delivers eight woes. Okay, Jesus is pronouncing these woes not in a temper, not with meanness, but with painful sorrow. And we're going to catch his heart in the last few verses of this chapter. So seven out of the eight woes, he calls them hypocrites. I want you guys to catch that. Seven of eight, you hypocrites. So the other one then, he calls them blind guides. Hypocrites, blind guides. And then these hypocritical as to their character, and then they would be blind guides according to their leadership. So let's take a look together at verse 13. This is the first woe, and it's because they were detouring others from the kingdom. He says, But woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So woe. This infers grief or deep regret here. It's an anguish. It's not anger. It's anguish that Jesus is having here. So Jesus' purpose for these woes was to try to help these religious leaders and the people they influenced. He had a heart for them. He wanted to see them get right. He wanted to see them repent. If he didn't, he wouldn't have wasted his time telling them the truth, right? Isn't that just logical? No, he wants to see these guys repent to get right with God. So it's bad enough to keep yourself out, but to stand in the view or in the way of others, it's detestable. So question, how is your lifestyle keeping others from entering? It's a pretty good question. Because what's the only thing that matters in this life? Coming to know Jesus right? And as a Christian, we're called not to stumble anybody, right? Well, I got a lot of liberties. Great. Enjoy those liberties. But if any of those liberties are keeping anyone from stumbling, from coming to the kingdom, guess what? You need to let those things go, okay? It's not worth it. It's the only thing that matters is that people come to know Jesus. I don't want to get in the way. I don't know about you guys. I don't want to stand in the way of anybody coming to know Jesus, okay? I want to point people to Jesus, Right here. This is the way you go. Okay? All, that's all I am in this life. I'm a pointer. I'm pointing you the way. He's the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Right? You're not the way. It's not about your life. Okay? It's not about your truth. It's all about his. So that's what we get to do. Um, so if you disagree with Christianity and don't want any part of it, so be it. That's your choice. But don't dare influence others to follow you to the pit. A lot of people out there doing that today. A lot of people. There's a whole agenda there. Satan. Want to know why? Because Satan stinks. That's why. 
I mean, that's the bottom line. Satan just, he knows the end is near, okay? He knows the scriptures. You guys know that? Satan knows the Bible well. He knows his hour is coming to an end soon. He discerns that we're living in the last days, and he's trying to take down as many people with him as possible. Well, how do you know that? Open your eyes. <laughs> Look at what's going on, okay? I've, I've lived 40 plus years now. A lot has changed just in my home, okay? We had a reverence for God one, at one time. We used to pray in school. We used to say the pledge. We knew what was right, what was wrong. We all honored God. Now we're teaching our kids there is no God. We're definitely not going to pray in school. Things have swung big time, guys. Anyways, we don't have time to talk about that. There's so much more that Jesus wants us to get in here. What we need to catch here, though, you either are detouring others from the kingdom or you're inviting them into it. That's what verse 13 is about here. Pretty clear, right? Okay, let's move on to woe number two. Damaging the defenseless and showing or in having these showy prayers. Look at verse 14. Woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you do devour widows' houses, and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Some manuscripts omit verse 14, the ESV, NIV, um, but we know from Mark chapter 12, verse 40, and Luke chapter 20, verse 47, they're in there, so we know it's God's truth, even if it wasn't here. But anyways, the two indictments is the point here. Swindling widows and making pretentious or attempting to per, you know, impress through your prayers. So both of these had, a bit, they're bad enough by themselves, but both make them guilty of the lowest hell. They have to stand before the widow's judge one day. I love that. And there are. I look at how many goofy religious movements, cults out there that take advantage of women. It is sad. Okay? And Jesus says, woe to you guys. There is a worser place for you who are doing that. And that's why we as the church, we're to take care of widows. Isn't that one of those undefiled religious things that we're told to do? Yeah. Okay? We need to be there. So Psalm 68, verse 5, you can uh, jot that down, but it tells us that a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows is God in his holy habitation. That is who he is. Our Heavenly Father, he's going to be there to defend the widow. That is the heart of our God. Should that be the heart of the church, guys? Absolutely. Okay, let's take care of those gals. So God doesn't leave this even to his best angel, but he takes it upon himself is what he says. His mercy is extended to those longing for families, and he becomes their father, and he is a peculiar guardian here to the defenseless. He's the president of orphanages, and he's the protector of widows. So note the greater condemnation proves that there are degrees of punishment as there are degrees to glory. So all the ungodly will be condemned. Righteous judge is our God. But the greater uh, damnation is reserved for these hypocrites who... Behind their mask of long prayers, they're ripping off widows. So how are we ripping off widows? How can we do that? Maybe it's just not being family to them. I lost my husband. I maybe don't have kids around. We need to be family to them, guys. 
So you are either damaging the defenseless in showing off your long prayers or you're helping the defenseless in keeping your public prayers short and honest. You guys ready for another woe? All right. Woe three, winning others over to legalism. You guys see this going on anywhere? This is happening today? All right, let's take a look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win a proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Whoa, religious people, a son of hell? That's what God says. Okay? So a proselyte is a convert to a cause. They were out to win them to this legalistic system. Okay? I've had many try to do this to me through the years. Grace of God's not enough. If you're really saved, you need to do this and this and this. You need to belong to our organization, our church, our movement. And it says here that they are twice the son of hell. So the convert is usually shows much more zeal uh, than his leader. Thus, a double devotion only produces double condemnation. So you're either winning others over to legalism or you're winning them over to grace. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus told us in the scriptures that we should be aware of false prophets, right? We find that earlier in the gospel in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ, Colossians 2.8. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, Hebrews 13.9. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are from God, we're exhorted to do in 1 John 4.1. And a large part of the scriptures, guys, are inspired. They're God-breathed epistles that are taken up with elaborate explanations of what true doctrine is. That's why it's so important we study the word of God. And there's warnings throughout them against false teachers. Okay, you guys know I don't talk a whole lot against false teachers, but when it comes up in Scripture, guys, we're going to hit on it. And it's all around us. What I'm hoping is that we know the Word of God and we know what is right. We're able to get it right, that we ourselves can give it right to others, but we also can discern when we're hearing things that aren't right. Okay, Because let me tell you what, there are so many false teachers in the last days. It's hard, but we need to know the Word of God. So I ask often whether it's possible for a minister who takes the Bible as his authority, okay, of faith, of truth, to avoid against warning against doctrinal errors. Some people, oh, you shouldn't do that. Shouldn't, but we see it throughout scriptures, and we have to speak the truth. We need to be warning. Isaiah 43, 11 says, I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. There is no Savior. Now, growing up here in the Fox Valley, I'm going to pull something up, Jed, if we can get it. I'll unlock this. You guys know that Jesus told us in John 8.32 that you should know the truth and the truth shall set you free? Okay. What Jesus is warning about here, um, does this come up, Jed? Can we pull it up? Maybe not. Oh, there we go. 
Cool, 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 cool. So I want to share with you guys, when I read about Pharisees, okay, we know these are talking about Jewish religious leaders of the day. And I'm like, well, who are these Jewish religious people of the day today? Who are these people around me? My head goes to the Catholic Church. Okay? I'm not about bashing the Catholic Church. I'm about people knowing the truth, that they can be set free. And I want to share with you guys just a few of different things, different popes, okay? These vicars for the Roman Catholic Church, uh, infallible dudes, okay? They know the truth. Just a few things that they've said through the years. Um, St. John Christendom said, Do not hold aloof from the church, for nothing is stronger than the church. The church is thy hope, thy salvation, and thy refuge. Okay? This is what they believe. We have Pope John the 23rd said, The Savior himself is the door of the sheepfold. I am the door of the sheep into his or into this fold of Jesus Christ. No man may enter unless he's led by the sovereign pontiff. Did you guys catch that? And only if they be united to him can men be saved. Is that biblical? Is that what God has said? Okay. Pope Leo the 13th said, this is our last lesson to you. Receive it, okay? This is it, guys. Understand this. Engrave it in your minds, all of you, by God's commandment. Salvation is to be found nowhere but in the church. The strong, effective instrument of salvation is no other than the Roman pontificate. Pope Eugene IV, the most holy Roman church firmly believes professes and preaches that none of these existing outside of the Catholic Church, not only pagans, but also Jews and heretics and the schematics can have a share in eternal or life eternal, but they will go into the eternal fire which was prepared for the devil and his angels unless before they are joined with her. And that is the most important unify of the ecclesiastical body of only those remaining within the unity can profit from the sacraments of the church. And then down on the end, he says, unless he remain within the bosom of the unity of the Catholic church. And the list goes on and on and on of all these different vicars of Satan telling lies to the church, Catholic church, over many, many centuries. Okay? Can the Roman Catholic Church save anybody? That's what they teach, guys. It's not what God says anywhere. Would you guys, real quick, turn to Isaiah 45 with me? Here, we can turn that off, Jed. Thank you. I don't want to leave their words up on the screen too long. <laughs> But it's just not somebody saying, hey, this is what the Catholic Church believes. No, this is what their popes themselves have said. I got pages of different quotes of these different popes saying, it is the church that will save you. Nothing about Jesus. Okay? Um, look at Isaiah 45 with me. We'll jump down to verse 22. I read this earlier this week. I'm just like, this is it. This is so clear. This is what God says. Look at verse 22. He says, look to me. This is, look to Jesus. Look to God, okay? 
and be saved. That's how you're saved. You don't look to a church, an organization. You look to God. He alone is Savior, right? All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I've sworn by myself and the word has gone out by my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. And he shall say, surely the Lord, I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, or yeah, to me men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who, at, or who are in, uh, sensed against him. In the Lord all descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. So he alone is Savior, guys. We are justified by faith. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? Okay, we see that throughout Scripture. Our justification, our just as if we never sinned, our standing before God, it only comes through Christ. It is a gift, and it's by our faith in Him, right? We know that from, you know, all over Scripture, but I'm thinking of Ephesians. I want you guys to turn to Acts 4 with me real quick. But we know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we are saved by faith through grace. It's a gift of God, least anybody should boast. Now, if you're a Catholic, you need to be confirmed. And on page 29, you have to adhere to the beliefs of the Catholic Church. And one of those on page 29 of their confirmation booklet is you are saved by good works. Where does it say that anywhere from God? That's what the church is teaching. That's what somebody has to sign off on as being a Catholic. That is what these popes have said through the centuries. Who are we going to believe, guys? God, you guys see where I'm going with this? Because I'm thinking about these guys in verse 15, you know, they're trying to win people to legalism. The Roman Catholic Church is just like every other religious system in the entire world. You need to be good enough to get to heaven. You need to be one of us to get to heaven. Where God declares, and Christianity is the only religion in the world that says, I alone am Savior. No one can get to the Father except through me. It is me. Period. Did I tell you to turn to Acts 4? Yeah, I love this passage. Acts 4, verse 12. It says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven Okay, and the name isn't the Roman Catholic Church. It's what? Given among men by which you much saved. And it's speaking to whose name, guys? Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone. It's him. Okay? He alone is Savior. Um, let's turn to Romans or Revelation chapter 18. I could go on. We've got a, a study to get to here. But if you guys have studied the book of Revelation which we just finished with our men's study on Thursday mornings. I've been studying with a couple guys. We're going on almost a year studying through the book of Revelation. But there's a call, and they talk about Babylon during the tribulation. And a lot of people see Babylon as being the Catholic Church. There are a lot of parallels, a lot of things that fit. And in chapter 8 of Revelation, here's the call. The wrath of God, judgment's coming upon the earth. Okay, These people have committed adultery. They're worshiping false, <laughs> false God. And in chapter 18, verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. 
Guys, we need to be praying for the Catholic people. If they would come out, okay? And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. What's the one thing that gets people out of the Catholic Church? They start reading the Bible. God says this, and that is the last thing the Catholic Church wants anybody doing. Okay, I was over at St. Bernadette's a few years ago, sitting down with 10 priests of Appleton, and we were having a conversation, and they were yelling at me for what I do as a pastor by teaching the Word of God to you guys, teaching you guys to study for yourselves, to be Bereans. They were yelling at me for doing that. How dare you? They didn't even understand what inductively approaching the scriptures means. It's because they say the church trumps the word of God. It doesn't matter what God says. It matters what the church says. And young man, if you knew the special teachings that we know, if you were taught correctly, you would know this. And I had to explain to him what I do in ministry. My prayer, my method is I want to teach you guys to study the Word of God, to know it rightly, that you can take your lives and fit it into what God says. What they do is they pick and choose a few verses they want from the Bible, because, hey, this is holy, this is a good thing, and they make it fit what they want to fit. That is pride, guys. That is blind, that is ignorant. And that's where we need to be praying. We need to be praying for these priests. Because let me tell you what, what if they did get saved? What do you think they would do? I've lied. I've been lying. I've been telling people to put their trust in this organization, in these rules and regulations. Man, that'd be so cool for them to get up and to publicly repent and point people to Jesus Christ to share the good news. There's nothing you can do. And Jesus has done it all. He is your Savior. That would be beautiful. Can we pray right now for the Catholic Church? Let's do that, please. Father, we do want to pray. Uh, we're not wanting to poke fun this morning. God, because many of us have family and friends that have been caught up into this tradition. God, they've been told because they got wet as a baby and because they give their money and if they're good and if they're a part of this Roman Catholic Church that they got their ticket to heaven. And we don't find that anywhere from, from your word. You've, you've made it very clear. God, and we want, we want people to come to know you, God. Lord, so we pray this morning, corporately, that your spirit would be opening up eyes. That the, the Catholic community that we live in, there's so many. That these people would be stirred up to pick up your word, maybe for the first time, and to read for themselves. God, I'm so sorry. We're so sorry, Lord, for how they've Change your word, Lord, and have twisted the scriptures. God, please, do a work. Let their revival begin. Lord, may these priests come to know you personally, that they would repent, Father, and be able to lead others, because they're leading many right now. We need truth. God, we need your word, and I pray for us that you'd give us opportunities to speak to others. You see, our our example in you here this morning, Jesus, that you were very forward and you spoke truth, God, and I think we need to do that also. Lord, I know we don't like to confront, but people, people's souls 
They're going to hell without you. So please, God, would you just do what's needed in that way? Lord, we humbly ask. And we also ask just for ourselves, Lord. Let us never think we got it all together and that we know best. Lord, help us to stay just real with you, real with your word. God, help us not to ignore any part of it, Lord. It's all given to us that we can know what is right and what's wrong. So help us just to keep ourselves just true to you and your word. Father, we believe it. We're trusting in you. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Keep praying, guys. Um, let's move on to the fourth woe here. These are blind guides who play with man-made rules. Look at verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, well, he's oblig or obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold of the temple that sanctifies the gold, or, or verse 18, and whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So they were religious guides of the Jews here. Okay, Willfully foolish, willfully blind. You guys know some people just choose to be blind? I, just, I don't even care. You know, just like, really? Just open your eyes. What's going on? Um, so verse 17, these fools, they thought they were wise. He calls them fools, blind, sin, bigotry, hypocrisy had blinded their eyes. Spurgeon said, there are none so stupid as those who will not learn and none so blind as those who will not see. So they tried to come up with different ways to swear or vow without using the divine name. That's all they were trying to do. So he points out their folly by reversing their right of orders of things here. So he shows that they were doing the very thing that they tried to avoid. I think we should keep it simple. You guys remember Matthew chapter 5 and verses 34 to 36? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just keep that. That's what God asks us. Keep it that simple. Don't swear by things. Just be truthful. So you're either playing with man-made rules or you're living out great realities of faith. That's what he lays down here. You guys get in it? Now he brings us to the fifth woe, and it's majoring on the minors. Look at verse 23 and 24 with me. Woe to you, scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone blind guides who strain out the gnat and swallow the camel what in the heck is jesus talking about here i'm glad you asked these were both assiduous in tiny details okay tithing the smile of the smallest of herbs while disregarding the the lost true heart okay uh, the weightier matters. 
So they were sticklers for detail and yet blind to the greater principles. Okay, they, they were using a microscope for details and a kaleidoscope on their doctrines. Okay? Um, so we've got to watch out for that. All right, let's go on to the next one. Woes 6 to 8. Uh, outwardly religious, but inwardly corrupt. Uh, look at verse 25. This is the sixth woe here, inside out. Woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of extortion and self-indulgent. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish and the outside Maybe clean also. So they had frequent washings, okay, both themselves and their vessels. Jesus shows that it's possibly clean on the outside, but you can be defiled on the inside is what he's getting at. So you can have it all together. I obey my mom and dad. I go to church. I give. I do this. I do that. Great. What's going on on the inside is what matters. So Jesus shows that it's possible. You can be clean outside, but not inside. So Jesus looked into their cup, and saw greed, and saw self-indulgence. So as Jesus peers into your cup this morning, what, what is he seeing? What's going on on the inside? Here was their supreme fault and their failure. Attention to externalism, to neglect the internal condition of their life. The Talmud tells of an ass of a certain rabbi which had been so well trained as to refuse corn of which the tithes had not been taken. Wow. So justice, mercy, and faith come up here. Those are the important qualities that God's seeking for. Okay, That's what he's looking for. What do you think we should be about, guys? Maybe justice, mercy, faith. So Jesus didn't contemn tithing. That's not what he's doing here. He condemned when you allow your legalistic scruples to keep you from developing true Christian character. What does straining out a gnat mean? Isn't that weird? What is he talking about? Or to filter or swallow a camel. That's a hyperbole here. So camel consumption. Both insect and camels, you guys know that they were ceremonially unclean, Right? So they strain the gnat from their wine, so yet not to be defiled, yet they commit great sins without a twinge of conscience, therefore swallowing a camel, humps and all. <laughs> He's trying to, like, guys, get what I'm at, getting at. So you either major on the minors or you're majoring on the majors. That's what Jesus is getting at. And don't we want to sometimes get so consumed on those little minor things? You know, you're not doing this, okay? You're going to go to hell because you're not doing this little thing. Why don't you keep the Sabbath? had a great conversation with my kids yesterday about that. You know, why do they worship on Saturdays? Why do we do it on Sundays? You know, And there are some Christian friends of mine who think I'm going to hell because I won't worship on a Saturday. You know, Minor thing, guys. Um, anyways. So either you're clean on the outside or you're dirty on the inside, right? Let's go to the seventh wall. It says uh, in verse 27, 
He's going to call these guys whitewashed tombs. Woe to you, scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus here in one fell swoop, guys, slices beautiful red polished apple right in half. Okay? He exposes that juicy brown worm that's on the inside. Looky, looky what I found, okay? So the Jews were careful not to touch anything related to dead bodies. One month before Passover, they whitewashed their tombs. Remember, it's only three days here before Passover. So he's probably looking at one right now. Um, contact with a grave, it caused defilement. Contact with these Pharisees, they do likewise. That's what Jesus is saying. So dead man's bones, what a graphic you know, snapshot of the hypocrite. D.L. Moody said, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. So agree with him. Okay, does God care about your character, brother, sister? Absolutely. Some of you guys might be like, why do I keep getting spanked? Why do I keep going through this? Guess what? He's doing a work in you. And through those trials, through those hard things, your character is going to change. He's faithful to do that. So the Pharisees lived for reputation and not for character. That was their problem. Let's go to the eighth woe. Look at verse 29 and uh, on. Okay, we're going to look at these prophets, persecutors. Woe to you, scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and you adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those murderers who murder the prophets. Verse 32, you fill up and then you measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So in verse 29, guys, the Pharisees built and proved, embellished the tombs of the prophets. Okay, King David and others, which was false profession of reverence of the prophets. You see, their fathers had killed the prophets, and they put monuments up to killed prophets. And they went on with the same business of killing prophets. So, verse 30 then, the irony here is that this very, you know, very uh, moment, they were already plotting, okay, uh, plotting the death of the Lord of the prophets. That's all they were doing, these Pharisees at the time. We want him crucified. You know, we want him on the cross. Um, so verse 32, okay, when it says to fill up or to top it off, top off your cup with what? My blood. So go ahead and finish what your father started. Israel's measure was almost full. 
Um, verse 33, we know a good surgeon, they, they'll cut deep, right? Uh, they'll do what's needed. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's going deep. He's getting to the heart of the matter here. You guys need to realize what you are doing, what you are saying. It's not right. It is wrong. You need to repent. And some of us, this is hard sayings. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to share this. But we need to hear this stuff, guys, because it's the truth. And the truth is what sets people free. And I love in verse 35 that he brings up Zechariah. And this Zechariah is the one that's found in 2 Chronicles 24, verses 20 to 22, in the last book of the Bible. That's the Hebrew Bible. Uh, so Genesis to Malachi, A to Z, Abel to Zechariah, a whole range of the Old Testament here is indicted. So the prophets of verse 36, they have spoken. Instead of hearing the woes and the coming out of darkness, they just tried to snuff out the light. Okay? We don't want to deal with you. We don't want to deal with what you're saying. And as it was before, that generation had passed away that Jerusalem was being besieged and destroyed then in 70 AD. Now let's wrap this chapter up. Okay? What's the problem with these people? They're not willing. Look at verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones uh, those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So don't miss this, guys. This chapter, with the heaviest indictment, how does it end? Jesus is in tears. Sobs, guys. This is the heart of our God. This should be our heart, guys, as we see what's going on around us. So, Jerusalem, the nation of Israel. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That's indicating here this deep emotion that God has. Just like Absalom, Absalom, or Martha, Martha, Saul, Saul, right? I wanted to gather. I wanted to. But you were not willing. Okay? God desires to save, but we're not willing. There's times we want the benefits of God. We like some of the moralities he's laid out. But in this postmodern society that we're living in, especially now, we want some of that stuff, but we don't want God. We don't want you, Jesus, to be a part of it. We want to have life without you. And that's what's going on today. Okay? We want nothing to do with Christianity. Anything else, we'll be tolerant of everything except for Jesus. I wanted to gather, but you were not willing. And this really surmises the tragedy of this final rejection of truth. You guys know John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40 says, I search, or you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. It doesn't matter how much you know, you can know the word of God. But have you come to know Jesus Christ? Have you gone to him? Because the volume of this book, Hebrews 13, 9, points to Jesus. It's all about him. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, it all points us to him. But are you willing to go to him? That's it. So Moses used this analogy uh, of this hen and her chicks 
in his farewell sermon, if you guys remember that back in Deuteronomy 32, 11. So what a picture this is of love, tender care and a willingness to die to protect others. Verse 38, the temple was my house. Okay, we saw that back in chapter 21, verse 13 also. But now it had been abandoned. It's been left empty. So which does Jesus, what does he do next? Well, that's going to be chapter 24, which we're going to get into the Olivet Discourse the next two weeks. Then verse 1 says, Jesus went out and he departed from the temple and his disciples came up and showed him the buildings of the temple. So we have a yet here in verse 39. Jesus leaves a nation with a promise that he would return one day. That's his promise. He would return. I shall return. I will come back. And he will remove his presence from Israel um, until the great tribulation, which really segues us into this next times of teaching that we're going to get into. So till... Long ages have passed since the king went away into a far country, so the signs of the times tell us his coming is drawing near. Against the backdrop of this indictment, we see the last touching portrait of Jesus here. Um, He condemned these hypocrites. He's heartbroken for them and for the crowds who would soon be screaming for his death. So that's where we're at at the end of Matthew 23. And I'm excited for what God has for us in the next few chapters here. So we're going to finish Matthew by the end of the year, praise the Lord. In it. But I want you guys to get this and get the heart of our God. You know, He's willing to speak truth. And that's something we're not hearing a whole lot of these days. And I encourage you to be bold. You know, where else are people going to hear truth unless we're willing to speak it? We got to be sharing the truth. That's how people are set free. Okay? And also be speaking the truth. God's willing. Did you guys get his heart there? Okay? I wanted to gather you together. I wanted to. That's his heart. He doesn't want to see anybody to go to hell. Okay? But there's a lot of people that aren't willing. And that's where we get to pray. We get to share. So if you'd stand to your feet with me, I'd like to close in prayer. Father, again, we're always grateful for your word. We're thankful that you were willing to speak truth. God, and we do thank you that um, your spirit, Lord, will testify to us. God, and it's one of those things, as your kids, when we get into your word, we know, we know it's all important. We know it's all true. God, and we are living in some crazy times where it's definitely, it seems like it's getting darker every day. But we know that light shines bright and brighter in, in, in the darkness and when it's getting darker. And we would pray just for opportunities to share well of you, to stand in your truth. I pray that you'd help all of us, God, not to waver, to keep the faith, Lord. Help us to keep trusting you, looking to you, Father. We are so thankful for your heart, just how you revealed, uh, just your desire, Lord, for these religious people to come to a relationship with you. 
And I would pray the same for each and every one of us, God. We don't want to be those who someday say, Lord, Lord, look at all the stuff we did and didn't even know you. So if we're going through the motions, if we're playing church, playing games with you, would you show us that? That we would be quick to repent and get right with you and to trust in you and you alone. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these. My brothers and sisters, would you please bless them this week, God? Go before them. Establish them, Lord. We thank you that you are a good God, that you are for us. God, sorry for when we want to get legalistic. God, when we find ourselves defeated or find ourselves just feeling (laughs) uh, weak, not able to do anything because we're looking at ourselves and what we do or we don't do. God, help us just keep our eyes upon you. God, and be about your business. I'm praying your name. Amen? Amen. God bless you, and thanks for listening to today's message. For more information on Freedom Fellowship Church or to hear other teachings, please visit our website, cometofreedom.com, or interact with us at facebook.com slash Church.